Amen. Thanks, guys. Great song, great thought, great job. Go and get in your Bible to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, it should be one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 714, page 714. I always wish that everyone followed along uh, in the scriptures as we teach and preach from the Bible. Uh, for several months now, on Sunday mornings, most of the time we've been talking about uh, things that Jesus said to his disciples, uh, because at times uh, Jesus spoke to those who did not believe. Some uh, listened to him uh, to find fault. Other listened to um, have honest questions answered. Uh, sometimes, in fact, probably most of the time, uh, the messages that Jesus spoke to the crowd were a crowd that was mixed with his disciples as well as those who did not believe. But there were some occasions when Jesus spoke only to his disciples, only to those who believed and trying to learn of him. In fact, the word disciple actually means learner. As long as you think that all Jesus did when he came the first time was die for our sins, you're going to miss uh, part of what Jesus was all about. Of course, first and foremost, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. But he spent a fair amount of his time also teaching his disciples, teaching them about life, teaching them about eternity. Uh, and as a disciple of Jesus, and I know many people are or would claim to be that today, I know I echo your thoughts when I say, I want to hear what Jesus has to say to me. Amen. If you think that Jesus just sort of is this individual that keeps changing with culture and time, you've manufactured a Jesus. One of the most valuable attributes of our Creator is a big word called immutability, and what that means is that God never changes. That's why Hebrews says of Jesus, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so you can be certain that if the circumstances were the same, whatever Jesus said 2,000 years ago to his disciples or to the world, he would say the same exact thing today. Uh, last week we talked about facing up to it when we were wrong. And we saw how Peter publicly rebuked Jesus because he did not like the change in Jesus' ministry when he began to speak about his suffering, death, and resurrection. And then Jesus, if you recall, publicly rebuked Peter. And we saw how Jesus was set like a flint to do the will of his Father to accomplish that which he came to the earth to do. And we saw the heart and mind of the most boisterous and outspoken apostle in the manner in which he received correction. And we saw how he humbly received it and continued to follow Christ. And we learned a lot from that exchange, and we encouraged one another to remain teachable, to hear correction all our lives, uh, because it is the truth that sets us free. Which brings us to our thought for this morning. Anyone who is familiar at all with the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth knows that he spoke in parables at times. 
Now, depending on what you use for a resource and how people define the word parable, most of them say that he spoke between 38 and 46 parables. Some have a few less, some sources a few more. All just depends on how you define that word. Uh, But I hope you understand when we think about parables is that parables are a terrible source to find Bible doctrine. Uh, Parables illustrate Bible doctrine. But they're not a place to find Bible doctrine. Parables are a place to find practical truths for life. Sometimes when Jesus spoke a parable, he interpreted it for us. And those, of course, are the easiest parables to understand and apply. Sometimes he did not directly explain the parable, but the Bible talks about why he spoke the parable, and so we know what point he's getting at and making in the parable. At other times, and most vaguely, he spoke parables and did not explain them, and those, of course, we'd be far wiser just to be honest and say, you know, this is what I think it means, this is how I think it applies, but, you know, uh, be patient. Did you know that parables was one of the tools Jesus used to speak to a crowd and have himself only be understood by his disciples? Have you ever heard of the parable of the wheat and the tares? If you've heard of the parable of the wheat and the tares, did you know that it was a parable Jesus spoke to a large crowd but he only explained to his disciples. Did you know, if you're here this morning and you're not yet saved, I didn't ask if you're a Baptist. Being a Baptist has nothing to do with whether you're saved or not. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, did you know that really the only parts of the Bible you will ever be able to understand are something that relates to you coming to Jesus Christ? What did Jesus say exclusively to his disciples? If you're able to stand, if you would stand this morning, please, in honor of God's word, the title of my thought is, There Are Tares Among the Wheat. There Are Tares Among the Wheat. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, went his way. When the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Thank you. You might be seated. Now, I would imagine the crowd that day would have been just like the crowd here today, and you hear that parable, and you think to yourself, well, you know what? I understand that story. 
but I have no idea what in the world uh, it actually means, how it applies, and what the point is. And so, uh, what I want to do is backtrack just a little bit. If you go back to the end of chapter 12, Jesus was talking with a group of unbelievers mixed with His disciples when His mothers and half-brothers showed up. In Matthew 12, 46, it says this, And while He yet talked to the people... Behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, stand outside, desiring to speak with thee. And so he immediately let them in. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not what it says. Verse 48, But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother? Who are my brethren? He stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. And we're not really talking about this this morning, but this is really not a very good exchange for someone who thinks that they get special access to Jesus through his mother. By the way, don't get mad at me for saying that. You ought to be mad that people tell people that. Understand that everyone can speak directly to Jesus. And His children, those who are saved, you have direct special access to Him. He is our high priest. Now the same day that that conversation and a bit of an embarrassing exchange uh, took place for Mary and his half-brothers, notice in verse 13, it says, or chapter 13, verse 1, says the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. So the same day of that awkward conversation, this mixture, this multitude that was both unbelievers and his disciples gathered to hear Jesus. In fact, so many of them came there that day to the shore of the Sea of Galilee that he got in a little boat and he pushed away off from the shore and he sat down in the boat and he began to teach the people standing on the shore as he sat in the boat. And that's what verses 2 and 3 say. A great multitude were gathered together under him. So that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, and then he begins this message with a parable of the the sower. Now, one of the parables Jesus spoke to that crowd that day from the shore, we read earlier in verse 24 when it says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now, before we walk through this parable, I think it's good for us to understand what what he's talking about. You and I don't live in Palestine in the first century. By and large, uh, most of you are city people. Uh, Most of you did not grow up in a farm like I did and uh, don't have a rural sort of a cultural farm plant background. But if you show a picture up there, uh, that's a, a wheat and a tear. And a terror is a kind of a ryegrass, but the plant itself looks very much like a wheat plant when it's still in the grassy part. Uh, and then when the uh, grain comes out, it's still similar but different. And that's why in verse 27 there, where it says, The servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? Whence then hath it tares? If you knew anything about farming or 
plants, you could tell both from the grass and from the grain the difference in wheat and tares, but they were very similar looking, and you had to know what you were looking at in order to discern them. And so the people listening to him that day, because it was a, whoa, was a more rural culture, and they were very much familiar with the farming of the day, they understood this, but it's a little foreign uh, to us. And it's not surprising, though, that just like us, after hearing this parable, the disciples wanted to know what point Jesus was making. Listen, it's an easy story to understand. But why did he speak it? What is the message? What is the application? Turn up in chapter 13 there to verse 36. It says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and he said, And so, just like us, they understood the story, but they didn't know what he was getting at. And so these disciples, when Jesus sent this multitude away, he's alone now with his disciples in a house. They say, teach us. What were you getting at? What was the point you were trying to make in that parable? Notice he interprets it for us in verse 37. He answered and said unto them, he that soweth a good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now, by the way, before we go on, I mean, understand, most people think that everyone is a child of God. Uh, And it is true that God is a father in the general sense because he is the creator of everything. But understand, people are not children of God until they're born again into God's family, until they've been adopted into his family through Christ. According to Jesus, both here and several other places, not only in his ministry, but throughout the New Testament, if you're a saved person, you're a child of God, and God is your father. And if you are not a saved person, the Bible calls you a child of the devil. No, that doesn't mean you're out biting the heads off of doves. You could be a really religious person. But spiritually speaking, you are a child of the wicked one. Jesus said it. Don't get mad at me. I'm always amazed that people are mad at me for telling them what Jesus clearly says. Verse 38, 39. The enemy that sowed them, that's the tares, the children of the wicked one, is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. The reapers are the angels. And as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. Son of man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's pretty clear. Jesus clearly taught his disciples what each of the symbols were in that parable. You see, he wanted his disciples to understand. And any of them that wanted to, could. 
which really gets us to our thought for this morning, some observations and applications of what Jesus taught his disciples in the parable of the wheat and tares. Here's number one. Disciples of Jesus have special understanding of spiritual things available to them. We really just read it in verses 36 and, and, and 37. Uh, Jesus sent the multitude away. He went in the house. The disciples said, hey, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said, they said, Jesus, teach us, explain it to us. We don't understand what you were getting at. And he did. Uh, listen, I'm not implying that all disciples of Jesus have understanding. But if you are a disciple of Jesus, if Christ is in your life, you have understanding available to you. They ask, Jesus answered. There's a reason Paul said, and if you take notes, write down 1 Corinthians 2, 14, Paul said, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can they know them, because they're spiritually discerned. I hope you understand that in the life and ministry of Jesus, at times, he spoke with great clarity. At other times, he spoke vaguely and even in parables that were very hard to understand unless he interpreted them for you. And that was a fulfillment of prophecy. Psalm 72, 78 verse 2 said that the Messiah would speak forth in parables, open his mouth in a, in a parable. And this whole idea that he teaches his disciples more and gives them understanding that he does not give those who are not his disciple, that pattern is followed throughout the whole Bible. Hear me when I say, if you are interested in what God has to say, he will take an interest in te teaching you. If you are willing to respond to something God has to say, God will teach you. But if you are not willing and you are not interested, understand it's just like the parable of the sower where the good seed goes on the hard ground and the evil one and come and snatches it away before anything happens. Why would Jesus give you understanding about end time events in the future when you won't respond to Christ in the present? Why would Jesus give you understanding about what it means to please Him as you walk with Him as a Christian when you won't even respond and receive Him as Savior? I hope this morning you understand that it is unreasonable to expect unsaved people to understand the things of God. You can lament all you want why they don't understand Christian morality, why they don't understand your love of the Bible, why they don't understand your uh, exclusive message that only Jesus saves, why they don't agree or understand why you ought to live a holy life that's morally pure. You can gripe about it all you want, but understand that they are not designed to understand anything that goes beyond what they need to be saved. But if you want to respond to God, He will teach you. If you're not saved, you must go back to the beginning before God lets you understand other things. You may be unsaved and sitting there thinking to yourself, well, if I understood uh, this Christian life thing a little bit better, then I might believe. That's not going to happen. 
God is going to allow you to understand that you are a guilty sinner in the sight of a thrice holy God. He's going to let you understand that you're dead in your trespasses and sin. He's going to let you understand that there's a judgment day coming in which you will give an account of yourself to God. He's going to let you understand that Christ Jesus loved you, suffered, died on the cross, and rose again from the dead so that you could be saved. He's going to let you understand that you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can repent of your sins and receive Him to be saved. But beyond those basic things, you don't get any spiritual understanding. You see, that day when Jesus spoke by the Sea of Galilee, if you came into the crowd that day and you just were there because of family and friends, you weren't really interested in what he had to say, do you know what you left with? Eh -eh. Nothing. See, people's basic problem is, is they think their resistance to God makes God say, oh no, they're resistant, I don't think I'll change. Listen, when you have a tiny little God that's smaller than you, you can think like that. But if your God is the omnipotent creator of the Bible, you have to first begin with the fact that God is God and we are not. What keeps you from asking how the Bible teaches you can be saved? If you're saved, what keeps you from asking what the Bible teaches about baptism? If you're saved, what keeps you from asking what the Bible teaches about the church? If you're saved, what keeps you from asking what the Bible teaches about giving, about separation, about being a witness for Christ, how you can walk and please God? What keeps you from asking? If you're saved, understanding is available to you. But the fact of the matter is, is that some Christian people, they don't really want to understand. They're not willing to change their life. They don't want God to speak to them about the order He wants in the home. They don't want God to speak to them about how He wants them to parent their children. They don't want God to speak to them about how they should prioritize their life. They don't want God to speak to them about what He thinks about alcohol or marijuana or all kinds of different things. And you know what? Because they don't want God to speak to them, they don't ask the question and they get no answers. This morning, if you're not saved, be encouraged. God wants to meet you and start you on your spiritual journey. But it begins with you responding what He lets you understand, which is you need to humbly place your faith in Christ. If you are saved this morning, be encouraged. God wants to teach you. He will teach you truth to whatever degree you're willing to respond. By the way, I thank God for people with spiritual curiosity. Uh, Some of you came to adult Bible class this morning. I thank God for that. Some of you will come back tonight. Some will come on Wednesday. Some of you will read your Bible every day this week. And you, before you turn a page, you'll say, God, I want to know you. Uh, please teach me. Please open my understanding. Uh, I, I thank God for people like that. Uh, I've watched many of you grow. Uh, I, I've watched Christ reach some of you uh, like He reached me 38 years ago. Dead in my trespasses and sin. A proud college graduate after living in the fraternity house and living like the world lives for the, all my life up until that point. I'm glad God was interested. Amen. He's interested in you. 
Which gets us to our second thing. Turn back maybe a page to uh, verse 24 of Matthew 13. I said first, disciples of Jesus have special understanding of spiritual things available. Here's the second thing he was teaching in this parable. Satan is interested in making God's field confusing. And he mixes, tears in with the wheat. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. Remember, Jesus in the world. Verse 25. But while men slept, his enemy, that's Satan, came and sowed tares among the wheat, uh, children of the devil, among the children of God, said, and he went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. And it became very obvious in verse 26 the difference in the tares and the wheat when it was all said and done. By the way, in practical terms, what this means is that Satan will make sure there are always false disciples mixed in with true disciples. There's a reason that Jesus warned His disciples and He warned them of false prophets who are wolves in sheep's clothing. Listen, Satan is completely ineffective revealing himself as a wolf. Satan must pretend to be a sheep. If you don't think, uh, there's a reason that Paul warned of false apostles. There's a reason Paul warned of false ministers. There's a reason that in a biblical church like this, I want you to be biblically literate. I want you to have your Bible open. I want you checking out what I'm saying to you. I want you reading it on your own. Listen, biblical churches thrive in biblical literacy of the congregation. Truth (laughs) prospers in that environment. But lies and false doctrine, they don't prosper in a biblically literate church. Listen, I don't know where you go to church if you're listening online, but hear me when I say if they are not encouraging you to read your Bible for yourself and follow along, get out of there. You have no way of knowing what they're telling you being true or false. By the way, I'm sure there are tears here at Bible Baptist Church. Uh, My wife and I uh, were saved 38 years ago. We've only been in two churches. Some of you, because your life path has been different, you have been in uh, three, four, or five churches. Hear me when I say there have been tears in every church you've been in. Say, why? Uh, Verse 25, the enemy came, sowed tares among the wheat, and went his way. It's what he does. Listen, you and I can lament people sitting in churches not being any better than they are. Or we can come to the realization that people that come to church by and large are there not because they have it all together, but because they want to be better than they are now. And we can decide, you know what? I am not going to allow my eyes to be taken off the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible because someone who claims to follow Him is a lousy example at that moment. You and I are always challenged whether or not we will keep our eyes on Jesus. He's perfect, as is His book. (laughs) Now, 
you may not lament this like I do, but maybe just because of God's gift and calling in, in my life, I really lament. I mean, it really bothers me that there's so many different messages that go out from so many different places that call themselves a church. You literally, in 2022, you can go out and find a place called a church that will tell you about anything. You can find a church that will tell you that in order to be saved, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized by immersion to be saved. You can go out and find a place called a church that will tell you you need to be sprinkled as an infant and keep the sacraments. You can go out and find a place called a church that will tell you you need to just be sprinkled as an infant. You can go and find a place called a church that will tell you that everybody's saved, that you don't need anything. Thank God for biblical churches who have not changed the biblical message that began with the Lord Jesus Christ and continued through the book of Acts and on through the New Testament that basically said to the world, ye must be born again, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That is the clear biblical message. I lament that that water is so muddy in the world around us. Now, some of you can't relate to this because of your path in life being different from mine. But when I was saved at the age of 24, I didn't know anything about the Bible. To my knowledge, I'd never had anyone share Christ with me or tell me how to be saved. And when I first got saved, all I knew was that Jesus was a Savior, that I needed to trust Him, that I didn't want to go to hell, and that God had changed my heart when I called on Christ. That's really all I knew. I was super hungry. I, I, and I was just ignorant. I literally, I didn't know any better. Anybody who said they were a Christian, I listened to what they had to say. I mean, at that time in the church I went to, uh, the singers sometimes would talk before they sang. At that time in the church I went, it was small. When the preacher finished the service, and invitation was over. He would say, does anybody have anything to say? A lot of interesting things said. I would every day, again, I was hungry, I was just ignorant. I, I turned on the Christian radio station, I listened to all them preachers. And, and maybe about four weeks into that, I started to notice, you know what? A lot of this stuff is contrary one to another. They can't both be right. Amen. Satan had muddied the water. I, I want to thank God for grace, Amen. for just reaching me in a church that preached and taught the Bible. And though that church had imperfect people, like every church, the leadership, the key people in that church, they were really focused on Christ and what the Bible said. Amen. I want to thank God for that. Now, some of you, you just take that for granted. You, you might have been raised by parents who understood biblical doctrine and, and raised you up that way. You might have started from childhood in a church that preached and taught the Scriptures. But, but I didn't get to start like that. But I want to thank God that he is looking to teach anybody who wants to learn. And Satan always muddies the water. One of the things I look forward to most in the kingdom of Christ is a promise about that kingdom in Isaiah chapter 11 that says the knowledge of God shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. No more muddy water. A clear trumpet sound 
Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. There's one way to eternal life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Trust His finished work, His shed blood, His death and resurrection on the cross. There is no other way to eternal life. In that day, there will be one trumpet sound. Well, what a day that will be, amen? But for today, you and I are in the wheat and tear mess. By the way, if you were given godly parents and fortunate enough to be blessed to grow up in a church that taught you rightly, you ought to thank God for that. And one of my burdens as your pastor is for you to be a biblically literate congregation so that you don't fall for every wind of doctrine and slight of men that's going on all over the place. And though Satan loves to keep people confused over what is truth, Jesus is making the way plain to anyone who wants to know. Let me ask you, do you want to know? Do you want to know? Do you want to know enough to be asking a question? Do you want to know enough to say, show me that in the Scriptures? Do you want to know? Though Satan muddies the water, God wants truth to be clear and available to everyone who wants it, and the truth will set you free. And I say to you this morning as your shepherd, beware of tares among the wheat. Now you and I can tell the difference in the behavior of a wheat and a tear, but we cannot see anybody's heart but our own. And so though I don't really know who are wheat and who are tares, understand this, God knows those who are His. Which gets us to our third thing, number three. God takes special interest in and care of his children. Matthew 13, verse 27. So the servants of the householder came and said to him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. Remember, that's Satan. And the servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? Notice the answer of Jesus to, should I take the tares before they're mature and the wheat is mature? Should I take them up? He said, nay, lest while you gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Notice he handled the tares in a manner that was in the interest of the wheat. Did you see that? Some people look at all the bad in our world and they wrongfully conclude there's no God. Instead of rightfully concluding that there's a God working for good and an evil force and Satan working for evil. Those are both in our world. Some look at the bad that goes on in churches and in their life and they wrongly conclude that the church and the Christian life is not worth the trouble. Here we see God leaves the tares among the wheat because if he takes the tear too soon, it hurts the wheat. That seems weird. I grew up in a farm, and one of the things uh, we did often as a child was I hoed potatoes. We would have, I don't know how many acres of potatoes, seven, eight, ten acres of potatoes, and in those days, if they had a uh, good weed killer for potatoes, I mean, my grandfather and mother, they didn't spend any money on it. And the weeds, we took them out. And here's what I learned. If you pull a big weed out that's right next to a potato plant, 
oftentimes their roots are intermingled, and when you pull out the weed, you pull out the potato. Do you know what else I learned? Is that sometimes that weed is growing so close to the stem of the potato plant that if I tried to cut it out with my hoe, I would also cut out the potato plant I was trying to protect. Sometimes leaving that weed where it was was actually better for the potato plant than me taking it out. Can can I just say to you that every tear in every church is for the good of God's people? Can I just say to you that every tear, T-A-R-E, in your life is for your good? You can sit there and lament your bad boss, and you can lament this person in the church, and you can lament this person in your family, and you can lament how difficult it is out there, but understand, you have a loving Father in heaven. If you're a Christian, a true Christian, you have a loving Father in heaven that only allows things in your circle that in the end are for your good. Keep your hand there. Go up in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians 11. Kind of an interesting statement. I think most of you are like me in that we wish there was no confusion. We, we wish every church's message was a true biblical message. We wish every tr- Christian had a true Christian life. We, we, wish, we, we wish all wish that. I mean, it's obvious that God did not handle it like that. Obviously. Kind of interesting what he says here in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. He says, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Boy, isn't that a terrible testimony? You're worse off for going to church than you would have been not going. That's bad. Of course, the church in Corinth was a mess at that time. Verse 18. He said, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Here it is. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Is that not an interesting statement? God allows heresies to manifest who and what is true. I know I'm not the only one who have had a situation in my life where someone asked me a question and I gave him some kind of an answer and I walked back and said, you know, I need to study that more. I know I'm not the only person here who has had someone close to me begin to go down a path that based on what I know is a bad path and it's caused me to get into the Bible and understand what I believe better. I'm not the only person here who has had someone close to me begin down a path toward false doctrine. And in order maybe to help them or in order to understand better what I've been taught, I began to study more. And that heresy, that bad behavior, that falsehood 
caused me to understand who and what was actually approved. Why does God leave tares in the church to manifest who and what is true? Why is everything going on today that's going on so God can manifest who and what is true? Why does God bring a tear in your workplace? Why does God bring a tear in your school? Why does God leave a tear in your family? Yes, they're a hassle. Yes, they're difficult at times. But I'm going to tell you, God did that for your good, and if it wouldn't have been for your good, he wouldn't have let it happen. Amen. Which gets us to our last thing, number four. Go back to Matthew chapter 13. By the way, we're just going through what Jesus taught his disciples. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, verse 30. Let both grow together into the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather you together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Remember, the reapers are the angels, the tares are the children of the devil, the wheat are the children of God, the barn is the kingdom, the harvest is the end of the world. Remember that? Here's number four. God will make it all right in the end. The true wheat and the false tares will all be exposed and everyone will get what they actually have coming to them. Listen, I'm not the only one here who sometimes lament that doing good doesn't work out good. Here. I'm not the only one that looks out and sometimes laments, hey, they're getting away with that. Did, Did you know that because you and I were created in the image of a just God, that part of our image that remains from God is we have this desire for justice. And sometimes wrong. You ever hear a child say, that's not fair? In a child is a desire for justice. There's not a person here that doesn't look out, and if some criminal gets away with something, it, it angers us. There's not a person here who we know something good went on and someone sacrificially did something good and it doesn't work out for one reason or another. And sometimes, you ever know somebody comes in and there's some bad situation comes that's going on, they jump in and they try to help the victim and they get hurt? Please hear me when I say, God's payday is not always every Friday. There is a day coming Regardless of how much money the tares make today or how successful they are in life, if they are a tear and they die in their sins, they will open their eyes in the burning. So I don't believe in hell. You will. Jesus did. I think he knows a little bit more about what happens after death than you do. And if you're doing, you're just a sincere follower of Jesus, really just trying to do what pleases God in your life. I mean, understand, our God doesn't miss a thing. There's a day when the children of God will be safely in the kingdom of Christ and all will be well. Amen. If you quietly stand this morning.